Good morning. It is good to be with you here today as we get to, to have our last sermon in the first part of this series, if that makes sense. So we're, we're looking to, at building our new Bethel. That's the, the name of this series we've been going through. And we've been laying the foundation of what we are working toward and what we are working to, to look at of how we are going to seek to follow God the best we were able to do. Uh, so we're looking at building the foundation, laying that foundation so we can follow Him faithfully as best we are able to. And if you look in uh, chapter John, or John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, that's where we'll be going in a few moments. Uh, but this is the last sermon in, in the foundation part of this series. So far we've discussed the gospel, how the gospel is foundational to what we do. Everything we do uh, must be related and motivated from the gospel and, and how the gospel has changed our lives and how the gospel can change the lives of those around us. Last week we looked at biblical authority, how the Bible has authority in our lives, how it should have authority in our lives, should have authority in the church because it's the word of God, it is true, we can trust it, we should look to it for authority in our lives. And, and today, this ties a lot of these things together. This last one, this idea of submission to God. Submission to God is the, is the last foundational concept we're going to look at. And I think it really especially ties well to biblical authority. And we will look at that as we get into this. It's very simple. Submission to God. We must submit ourselves to God. But we're going to get into why it is just so important and how all these three things work together to be the foundation that everything we do must be grounded in. So we're going to look, if you will turn, in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it does not see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I pray that You would be with us today, that You would help us to seek You, help us to look to You and to, to follow You for, for what we are doing. God, as we look at something that is very difficult for us to, to do at times with this idea of submitting, God, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of submitting ourselves to you, what that looks like, and that we would be faithful in doing that in our lives and as a church. God, I pray that you would speak to each of us today, that you would help us to follow you more closely and see what the, the Bible and what Scripture is telling us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the idea of submitting to God, submitting to God, what is submission? It's the first question we have to ask. What is submission? Uh, one of the, the, it's not a word that I think that we use a lot that comes up in, in common conversation all that often. Probably the most common time that I hear it uh, is when, if you've ever seen any sort of fighting sport, they, have a, they can win by submission where the other person taps out and they are giving up the fight. And that is really what submission is, to realize that there is something greater than you or something that's more powerful than you, and you are giving in to their authority and their power. You are submitting yourself, putting yourself under the authority. Uh, if you, the, def, the, the definition, if you were to search for it, uh, the action or fact of, of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. It is to accept and to yield authority 
to, to give way to what is going on, right? You think about when you're driving, there's a yield sign. You have to give way. You have to submit to what the other drivers on the highway are doing so that there's not an accident. You have to submit and to yield. There are all sorts of ways that we have to submit on a regular basis, like when we're driving. At work, if you have a boss, you have to submit to them. If you don't, you might not have that job very long, right? We have to submit in many ways, but the reality is we don't often like to submit, do we? We don't like people telling us what to do. And oftentimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but sometimes when people tell you what to do, it makes you more likely to not want to do it, right? You ever been doing something or about to go do something and then someone tells you to do it and you're like, well, now that you said that, I'm just not going to do it, right? It's this idea that when, when we have authority put upon us, we don't like it. It's something in our nature, something about the way we are, that we do not like to be told what to do. The idea of submission and surrender. We don't like this idea of giving up, to give something, give control outside of ourselves, right? To, to let things go beyond where we are. But submission and surrender are very similar. It's to lay down, to, to surrender who we are, to submit who we are to something that's greater. And the first way we submit to God, the very first act of submission that we have in our relationship with Him is to submit and surrender our life to Christ. That is the most important fundamental aspect of, of your walk with Christ is the initiation of it, that we surrender and we make Him our Lord and our Savior. And I think in, in the church it's very easy, and in our lives it's very easy to remember one part of that phrase and ignore the other. Right? It's easy to think of God and, and Jesus as our, as our Savior, but do we always remember Him as our Lord? Do we remember Him as the one we are submitting to, the one who has saved us and, and the, the idea that He is Lord and in charge? And John MacArthur said that the question in salvation is not whether Jesus is Lord, but whether we are submissive to His Lordship. Jesus is Lord, but do we live as though Jesus is Lord in our lives? Do we submit to what He calls us to do? Do we accept that there is a higher authority, a higher will, a greater purpose, and submit ourselves to that? Because God, God said that His ways are higher than his, our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We don't understand what He's doing. We won't always be sure of what's going to happen. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable. But are we submitting to His Lordship? Are we submitting to what He is doing? The idea of Him being our Lord and Savior means that He not only saved us from our sin, but that means that He is now in control. You know, there's a very popular bumper sticker that you've probably seen around, Jesus is my co-pilot. That gets things out of, out of perspective. God is to be in charge. He's not along for the ride. He is the one who's setting the destination. And we must be faithful in submitting to where He leads. Because submission means we are to be obedient. Submission means we are to be obedient. Let's look at the, the passage we just looked at. If you love me, you will keep my commands. You will keep my commands. There's his expectation that if we are following God, we are going to be obedient to what he says to us. And there are many, many examples of this in Scripture, but I want to share a few with you that I think are, are very uh, pertinent to what we're looking at. James 1.22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Deuteronomy 5.33, Follow the whole instruction the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live, prosper, and have a long life in the land you will possess. Joshua 1.8, we just looked at this passage a few weeks ago. Joshua, the book of, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. God wants us to be obedient. When God commands us to do something, God expects that we do it. If we are followers of Christ, if we are are saying that we love Him, if we love Him, we will keep His commands. This is a primary focus throughout the entire Bible. How does the first interaction between man and God start? One command. One command. You may eat from any tree except for the one in the middle. One command. It was expected that they would follow it. And the first sin was an act of disobedience. And that is is really what sin is, is disobeying God, going against, doing what is contrary to what God calls us to do. The first sin was an act of disobedience, a refusal to submit to the authority of God. And the the whole of the Bible is filled with this constant battle of people refusing to submit to God. Every interaction where you see sin present, you see a disobedience of of, of God. Constantly, people who follow, they they do the wrong thing. They don't obey. They don't follow. And those who do the right thing, who are, are shown and put forward as the example, what are they doing? They're being obedient to God. But we must remember that obedience and following God's commands does not equal salvation. Salvation does not come from our ability to follow the commands of God. Because we are unable to do them. It's very clear in Scripture from, from following the commands, no person will be called justified. In Ephesians 2, 8-9 it says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Not because of what we do. God initiated salvation. God is the one who who sent Christ to die for us. And it is because of what Christ has done that we are able to be saved. Because we need that. We need that because we've been so disobedient. Because we have been so sinful in our lives. There has been so much sin. We cannot cover that. We cannot pay that debt. Christ paid the debt because we could not. So this salvation that we have is from Christ by His grace that He's given to us because of His love for us, not because of what we do. But while these, these good works and obedience are not the, the way we are saved, they are proof of our salvation. I think oftentimes Ephesians 2, 8-9 through 9 that we just read in this passage we're about to read seem like they contradict each other to many people. James 2, 18 But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. And I will show you my faith by my works. And in another place in this passage, it says, faith without works is dead. Okay, so so how do we we look at this and and understand what it means? Because in one place it's saying you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And in James we see this importance of works. It is not that works save us but that if you have a faith that has saved you, works will follow. 
you will be obedient to God. You will follow and do what you have, been, have claimed to believe. I want you to think in your life of anything that you claim to believe. Anything you claim to believe, I, I would hope to say that, that everything you do, everything you say you believe, your actions follow suit. If you believe it's going to rain, you probably take an umbrella. You probably wear a raincoat. If you, think it's going to, if you believe it's going to be cold, you probably dress warm. If you believe it's going to be warm, you probably don't take a jacket. Your actions show what you believe. And so if we have a faith that has saved, if God has saved us, there will be obedience. Not because we are scared of, of losing our salvation, not because we think we must earn our salvation, not because we must keep our salvation, but because the faith that saved us and what God has done for us motivates us to a place where we want to follow. Good works and obedience are not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit that our salvation produces. So you think about planting a tree, there's a seed, and the tree that grows from it, that is the work of God by faith that we have nothing to do with by our actions. But when that happens, there will be fruit that is produced, and that fruit is the obedience and the following and the good works that come out of that. The end of Ephesians, it says you are to do the good works that God prepared beforehand for you to do. There is still in that passage the expectation that after you are saved, you will do what God has prepared for you to do. But I want to take that a little bit further, this idea that, that salvation, that the good works are not the, the, the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit. And just like fruit from a tree, when it falls, what's inside that fruit? Seeds. There are seeds within the fruit that plant seeds in the ground. For more trees to grow. When we are obedient to God, we are planting other seeds in the lives of others. We are sharing the gospel. We are being obedient to what we see in Scripture. Do you see how these things all work together? The idea that the gospel and, and biblical authority and submission to God, they must exist together. Because we are obedient to what we see in Scripture. We, we see it in Scripture. We, we give it authority in our lives. But we don't just know it. We obey it. We put it into practice. And we are sharing the gospel that we see in Scripture, and that produces fruit and, and, and harvest in the lives of others. And we are able to follow Him. Because what, the reality is that faith without obedience is hypocrisy. The thing that people hate the most and they, they claim the most about Christians is that Christians are hypocrites. And we all are hypocrites. We need to acknowledge that. We all are, are people who are saved by grace, and, and we still struggle with sin. We all want to, to follow God and to, to be to be good, but we struggle. We're not perfect. Unless we're, if you're not perfect, you, you have hypocrisy to some extent because you have denounced sin, but we still struggle. But faith without obedience is hypocrisy. Without any attempt to follow God, without any motivation to follow Him, we are being hypocritical. And we must seek to be submitted to who He is, to follow Him, to not just know what He tells us to do, to not just know it, but to put it into action in our lives. When God, it's not, it's not that God wants you to know what the greatest commandment is and simply know it. He wants you to do it. Love God and love others. It's good to know that, but if you don't do it, what did that do in your heart, in your life? So we are called to be obedient if we are, are believers in Christ. And that submission 
The submission that leads to obedience, the submission is motivated by love. It's the very first part of that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me. You see, obedience to God, following Him, is not motivated by fear. It is not motivated by obligation. Like I said before, we are not thinking that this this obedience is going to earn our salvation or keep our salvation. It's not motivated by obligation. Submission to God is motivated by love. Our our walk with Christ is based upon love. In John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Our relationship with God was founded upon love. And the most beautiful part of that is that it's not our love that founded it. It's not our love for God that produced this salvation, but God's love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we could be made right with Him. And because of this thing that He has done for us, because of the way that He has brought us back to Him, because of the salvation available in Christ, we are to submit ourselves to Him, make Him the Lord of our lives, and because of the love we have for Him, out of the love He has given us, we are to be obedient, to submit to Him. We do this all of the time. The the places that we actually submit ourselves to others in our lives where we don't dislike doing it are places that we do it out of love. When we marry someone, when you get married, if you have married somebody, you have submitted yourselves to them in various ways. When When you say, I do, on your wedding day, you are saying that I am not going to have a relationship with other people. I am com- I'm committing myself to you, submitting myself to you, to one another, to love each other. right? And then when you do things for that person, when you care for them, when you do things to show that you care for them, it's not out of fear or obligation. It shouldn't be. right? Psychology in the world tends to, to put things in perspective of power and, and interactions and relationships with people are based upon power. And if that enters into a marriage... That's a recipe for disaster, right? If, if your relationship with your spouse is based upon how you, who can have the most power, who's going to be the one that's dominant over the other one, that's dangerous. When you are married to a person, your, your relationship should be based upon loving that person and knowing that that person loves you in return. And, and you do things for them not based on what you can get out of it, but rather because you are motivated, motivated by your love for the person you're married to. And so then when you do things for them, when you do things and you, you, you build your life around that relationship and you, you're submitted to them in, in these various ways, it's not a burden. It doesn't bother you because you love them. In the same way, when we love God, the greater our love is for God, the less of a burden it is to obey His commands. Right? If you don't have an affection for who God is, if you don't love Him, you don't have a relationship with Him, it's going to be very burdensome to keep His commandments. And people that don't know Christ, that's, that's their reaction. Why would I want to do this? Why would I want to follow these regulations? Because that's what they think it is. They think that, that knowing God is just following a list of rules. Trying to, to do your best to be better. But it's so much more than that. 
We are called to be obedient, but we are called to be obedient because of love that we have for God. Because we love Him, we are called to keep the commandments He's given to us. And this submission that we have is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see in this passage. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't, know, doesn't see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. So upon explaining His departure to His disciples, in explaining their need to obey Him, He then tells them how they're going to be able to do so. Jesus tells them He will give them another counselor. He tells them He will give them the Holy Spirit. And so I want to, I want to share a piece of, of information with you that I think will be helpful for you going forward. Uh, the, the Greek word for spirit in this passage is paraclete. Okay? And, and what has helped me to be able to always remember that, it's very simple. I, hope you, I don't think you'll ever forget it after this. That the paraclete being the helper, right? When you play a sport, you wear on your, on your, shoe, on your feet a paraclete's a pair of cleats, and they help you to have traction, okay? So in the same way a pair of cleats helps you to have traction when you play a sport, the paraclete, the spirit, helps you to be obedient to God. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit, I think, is one of the often, the most neglected and ignored at, uh, persons of the Trinity. We see one of two things. He's either ignored or, or, or not given as much attention, or he is abused, in the way that He has, is interacted with. But the Holy Spirit is essential to our ability as believers to follow God. Let's look at Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may be also glorified with Him. Without the, the power of the Holy Spirit, we are powerless to overcome sin in our lives. In our own power, in the flesh, in our own human weakness, we are powerless to overcome sin. God, however, did not call us to do something that He did not give us the ability to do. It's like trying to, to do a task without the right tool. Right? If you have a task that you've been given, you have a job that needs to be completed, and you're just trying to do that with whatever you've got, it may be very difficult. But if you've got the right tool, it can be very simple. God has given us the Holy Spirit to give us the ability through His power. Let's under, I want to make sure that's very clear. God's power enables us to overcome sin and temptation in our lives. That does not mean we will be perfect in this life. But it means that if we will walk in step with the Spirit, we will not 
sin. But because we are still in the flesh, we will from time to time sin. But if on a daily basis you seek to be submitted to God, to to being obedient to Him, and you rely on the Spirit, you will be able to be more obedient to God than you are apart from Him. You have been given all that you need to be able to follow God. He has given you what He expects in Scripture. He has given you the Holy Spirit to enable you and empower you to follow Him. The same Spirit that was in Christ is within each of us if you know Christ this morning. That's powerful. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, enables you to follow God, to to love others, to, to follow Him, to be obedient. So with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to to walk free from the power of sin in our lives. This is what we're called to do, to rely on Him, to trust in Him on a daily basis. Because submission to God glorifies God. Submission glorifies God. Submission to God should be in everything that we do. This is not just mean that we try to follow what He tells us to do. That's a part of it. The obedience is, is a part of it. If you love me, you will obey my commands. But, but a part of what He commands us to do is that everything about us, everything that we do should be reoriented to following God with our lives. I want you to, to think about the Apostle Paul and his life who formerly was Saul, who was persecuting Christians, was a Pharisee, had a life that was respected by those that were around him. But this is what he says in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider, consider them as dung that, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. You see, this man, when he was Saul, he was the apostle. That's what he talks about in this passage, that he had everything from a worldly perspective, from a fleshly perspective. He had done everything right. He had been obedient as he could be. He was born in, into a, a, good, a good household. He had, he had followed all the rules. He was persecuting the church. He had faith in God. But then something happened. He encountered Christ. And my hope is for for each person in this room, that is your story in some way, shape, or form, that you were going through this life doing what you thought was best, and then you encountered Christ. And from that moment on, everything changed. It changed so much for this person. For, For Saul, he became the Apostle Paul, and that everything he knew, he says everything, he counts as a loss. For, for the goodness and the glory of knowing Christ. I consider everything to be a lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that is what submission to God looks like. 
It is realizing that He is so much higher and so much greater and His love for us is so much better than anything that the world could offer that everything we knew before is counted as loss. They don't matter. Every accolade we may have, every achievement we may have done, every good work we may have done on our own, it doesn't matter because I get to know Jesus. Because Jesus loves me and He saved me from myself. And so we know Him. If we will submit to God, lives will be changed and transformed. And and that is what I want to make sure that, this is why this is important, this idea of submitting to God. Following Christ is not simply about getting someone to pray a prayer and to be baptized. It is a person that comes to know them as their Lord and their Savior. Their Savior and their Lord. And if that faith is true, that person is called to be obedient to Christ. And the Holy Spirit within them will motivate them to obedience. Following Christ is surrendering your life to Him. Submitting your life to Him. I think there have been times where people have presented the gospel in such a way as though it's only an insurance policy. Just sign here by the line and you're good to go. When we follow Christ, we are saved from our sins. There is this benefit we gain, but we're laying things down. Being saved is easy, but following Christ is costly. It'll cost us our lives. We must submit ourselves to Him. Because not only will we then be saved, but we will be changed and transformed to become and to look more like Christ. See, that's what I'm excited about, is that if we will do this individually and as a church, if we will submit to Him, amazing things will happen. Lives will be changed and transformed. People will come to know Christ and be saved from their sins, and they will begin to look like Christ and to be a part of reaching a world that is lost. The church will do gospel ministry that will change the community. If we are submitted to Him, we will do things and we will be more concerned with what He wants and what He's calling us to do. And when he, we see that He's calling us to do something, we will do it. Why? Because we are submitted to Him, to following His will. People will make decisions based on obedience to God rather than selfish ambition. And that's hard. It's hard when we look at our choices on a daily basis to look and say, what would God have me to do? And it's very hard when that's not a fun thing to do. You think about the story of the rich young ruler who came asking, how do I, have, how do I receive eternal life? And he said, you know, you know the law, follow the commandments. He said, I've done all of those things since I was a child. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he said, One thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, the reality was that person was not willing to submit themselves to Jesus. To follow him wherever he would lead. that's That's a hymn that is often sang in invitations, wherever you lead, I'll go. Do we mean that? Do you mean that in your life, wherever Christ leads you, that you will go? 
Because that's, that's what I meant at the beginning. Submission to God is very simple. Do what God says. But submission to God is very hard because it often means denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him wherever He would lead. And the reality is we, don't always, we won't always like that. But we look to our example in Christ. Not my will, but your will be done. And as we're approaching this time of invitation, I want to challenge you in your life. Are you living a life that is submitted to God? The first question you have to ask is, have you submitted yourself to Him in the first place? Have you said, God, I am a sinner in need of your salvation, and I, I, I lay my life down. I, I, I know that only because of what Jesus done I can be saved. Have you surrendered to Him? Have you surrendered to Him in salvation this morning? And if you sit here and you say, yes, I have, does your life reflect it? Can you look at your life and say, yes, here is the places that I have fruit in my life. I, here are the places and the ways I have, have surrendered and submitted myself to God. Because if you can't this morning, there is one of two things I would say that is, is true. If you can't look at your life and identify fruit from your salvation, you are either actively being disobedient to your Savior and your Lord, or perhaps you never knew Him in the first place and you need to surrender for the first time. And if you, if you know Him and you, you have fruit in your life, how can you be more faithful in your life? How can you submit to God in a greater way this morning? How can you give Him more authority, more access? And you say, wherever you would leave and lead in every single thing I would do in my life, I will follow. How can you do that this morning? So as Reggie comes in, we have this, this time of invitation. I will, I'll be down front and I'll be available to pray, to, to help you, to pray with you. If you don't know Christ, I'll be there to help you walk through that as well. But during this time as we worship, as we stand together to worship and to to, to reflect on this, I would challenge you. How can you submit to God more fully in your life this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for all that you've done. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time we're able to see your word. And I pray that you would help us, each of us, to reflect on our own lives. To see where we fail to submit to you. Where we fail to be obedient to you. God, I pray that you would motivate us out of the love that you have had for us, that we would be faithful in following you. Not because of fear, not because of obligation, not to earn or to keep our salvation, but because we love you. That's what you call us to do. And Father, I pray that if any don't know you this morning, that today would be the day they would lay all fear, all personal uh, inhibitions aside, and they would turn to you and surrender to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.